may be seated. And good morning, church family. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you and be able to share. Pastor Luke is is out at the moment, as you can tell. Some of you might be the first time you're here, so come on back, because the real pastor will be back next week. So, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I enjoy sharing with you, and I uh, know that we're headed to Ephesians chapter 2. At the end, we're going to celebrate communion, so make sure you get your, your cups ready. Uh, but this chapter, this area of Scripture, uh, I have been... I don't know, I don't want to say stuck. I've had the joy of being able to try and grasp it, uh, and this has been ongoing for, well, months, years, and I feel like I'm still only scratching the surface. And I just want to share how amazing God really is. And I don't always have a brain to be able to even grasp it, much less give it out. But what's cool is God's word can unpack it all. So, all right, let's pray and go home. No. <laughs> uh, the scripture we're going to read is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And out of respect for God's word, we stand when we read it. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's stand to receive. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your plan of salvation. It is Jesus for the whole world. And we thank you that you did it all. Speak to our hearts. May we praise you for the salvation that we have, that the salvation that you gave us as a gift. And Father, let us just rejoice in the communion that we get to celebrate with you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we kick off here, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, I like participation. And so this means you're involved in this message. And uh, I might call you up and ask you to be a volunteer. 
but I, I really I won't. But I might. Now I want to I want to participate with you. I like uh, interaction, and I because you're participating in the message, and it actually uh, it's natural when you communicate with someone to respond. And so uh, there'll be a couple of those times. But as we go through this, I'm going to go through it verse by verse. And we are going to go from death to life to the workmanship of God. All right? We're going to unpack it. When we get to verse 10, you'll know we're almost done, right? You guys are just like, okay. Let me take a deep breath. Because, see, I get really fired up and I get excited, so I always have to throw this warning out there. It's passion. It's not anger. Okay? All right. And then the next thing, uh, in this verse 1 through 10, in the Greek, it was all one sentence. Like what we just read was just all one sentence in the original Greek, all compiled together. And so unpacking that is going to be a joy for each of us. But first, finish the sentence. Here's the participatory. Are you ready? Everybody go like this. Okay. All right. God helps those who... Oh, okay. So you, some of you know it. Some of you have never heard it. God helps those who help themselves. How many of you know that's in the Bible? Well, tricked you because it's not. Right? Not at all. See, watch out. You're participating. Now you got hurt. You don't want to play no more. All right? <laughs> God helps those who help themselves. In fact, we say it all the time, but can you imagine if that were true? It'd be like me telling a month-old baby, you're going to have to help yourself, and then I'll come and help you. Is that, is that cruel? Is that loving? Or is that kind? What is that? That's called 911. Somebody tell, yeah. God helps those who help themselves. What we just read is farther from the truth. God helps the brokenhearted. God helps the helpless. God helps, we sang it, God helps the broken, those who've been cast aside, those. So to say God helps those who help themselves means I got to do something, right? I better do something and then God will, then, oh, now I'll feed the two-month-old because, what, you're crying? I don't know. God steps in and he does absolutely everything. And I'm so silly that I try and take credit for some of it. And God does it. Now, I'm not saying just sit back and do nothing. That's not what the word says either. We're going to have a work to do. So remember, we're going to go from death to life to a work. So let's start back at verse 1. It tells us, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, our view right here, I want you to turn to your neighbor whichever they are, and see if they're alive. Check to see if they're alive. Some of you aren't going to participate. I'm going to call you out, Jenny. You better check. Okay, you, hopefully you didn't find death. Or we're, we just turned to a funeral. Uh, okay, that's not funny. All right, sorry. Okay. Here's the thing, though. Your view and my view is totally skewed. You turn to your neighbor and raise your hand. Did you find life? Raise your hand. Did you find life? See, the kids are in here. They're with me. Come on. Okay, but here's the truth and the reality. 
from God's point of view, you can't see life. You can only answer it for yourself because without Jesus, that person next to you is dead. Now, you can answer it for yourself. Do you have life? Do you have Jesus? And that's it. You can look and say, yep, they're moving. Looks like they have life. But from God's view, they're dead. Unless Jesus Christ is on the inside and you and I can't see it. So do something for me. Just act like you're putting on a pair of glasses. Come on. See, I'm just going to talk to the four kids in the front row. All right, you're with me. Put the glasses on. Good job, DJ. You already got them on. All right. These are God's glasses. Now, can you imagine if we all could view from God's point of view? We're living in a cemetery. And we're not alive and going to our deathbed. We are dead and in need of resurrection. This is the world around. When you have God's glasses on, you have his perspective and saying, it's a cemetery, it's a cesspool, there's open graves, and we need some life in this death. Who's our rescuer? Who brings life? It's Jesus. And do you know that Jesus even had these same glasses on? I mean, he's God. He had the glasses on. He asked a young disciple, follow me, come follow me. And he says, wait i got to go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the... He had God's, God's view. We're living in a... And I can tell you, if you keep this view on you, then in your workplace changes. In your school changes. What are you surrounded by? Death. And if you have life in you, what are you to them? The light. John 1 says that the light of the life of men was in Jesus. And you know what? They love the darkness rather than the light, and they won't come. Whew. See, when I just starting to put these glasses on and see God... I see Christ for what he really is. And he said, he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other life. Kids, young people, understand this. Without Jesus, without giving him all you've got, you will end up in one of those graves. Adults, raise your hand if you agree. You've been in one of those graves. It's death. We're in a cemetery. Jesus is the only way to walk in this world. Get a hold of him, young people, and don't let go. You know what the, the hard part about being in the cemetery? Is Jesus tells us in his word in Revelation what is the sickest part of this. So keep your glasses on. We're in a graveyard. It's dark. Revelation says it this way. The very people that make Jesus sick are the ones who say they have life and they don't. It's in Revelations. It's the church of Latidosia. I can't say it now. It's the, one of the seven churches in there. Yeah? It's the one that wasn't good. No, there were, it was the one where Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. You think you can see. You think you have my glasses on. 
but I'm outside of you. You don't even have life yet, and you claim you do. You make me sick, he says, and I'll vomit you out of my mouth. You're lukewarm. In this cemetery, the people that make him sick are the ones that say, yep, we got this. I'm doing this. And you know what? I fall into that trap. I have been at church in my youth, and I'd be here, and I'd be like, oh, I say that was my early drug problem. My parents drugged me to church. And I would just be there. Oh, man, I wonder who's playing this afternoon, you know? Not even here, not even listening, not even caring, because I was dead. But everybody knew I went to church, so then I was supposed to be the light, and I just made Jesus sick, because I wasn't even, I wasn't part of the world, and I was on the outside of him. Been there. So keeping these glasses on might change the way you see your coworkers. Might see the way you see people at your school, this graveyard, this spiritually dead. You know what? There's still hope. You know why? Jesus is still here. Rescuing, we sang it, rescuing dead men, bringing them from death to life. But do we have that view? Or are we saying, no, God, I want my life. You can't have it. It's his word. You're dead in trespasses and sin. Verse 2, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work, at work in the sons of disobedience. Let me, let me share it with you this way. When the Bible talks about walk, understand that we are all, every single one of us, whether we're dead or alive in Christ, we're on a walk. It is a progression to meet God, every single one of us. Now, there's a walk that at the end you get wrath. And then there's a walk with Christ that at the end you get more life. The real eternal life starts now. And so it's calling each of us out. Verse 2, it's saying, oh, how's your walk going? Which walk are you in? Are you following the course of this world that is selfish, get all you want, do what I want to do, are you following that walk? The prince of the power of the air, do you know that that is Satan? And you, by default, by just being born in this world, are walking with him. That's our default setting. And by nature, our other default setting is being a son of, or a daughter of disobedience. That's just being born. I know I thank you for coming out Sunday as I paint all the doom and gloom across. But there's still hope. Jesus is still rescuing people and bringing dead men out of the grave and rescuing sinners. Okay. Jesus talked about this same thing in the parable of the seeds. He talked about the good sower, the farmer, went out into the field and planted good seeds. These are the sons and daughters of the kingdom. 
his people, right? But an enemy came in and went into his field and planted bad seed. Jesus called these the sons of Satan, the sons of disobedience. So I come back to, which one are you walking with? I know our default setting. I have one. It's selfishness. It's pride. It's anger. It's all of Seth Bowker. That's my default, to walk with the sons of disobedience, to rebel. What really caught me at a young age is I rebelled. I went to church. I had rules and rules and I shared this before, like I have to have my hair cut above my ears by so far and I have to wear a blue shirt on Tuesdays and Thursdays with a red shirt on Monday, Wednesday. It was all so legal. It was just rules. and I couldn't, I couldn't even survive. I just checked out and I started to rebel against all the rules. Anybody ever been there? Or am I the only? Don't leave me. Thank you. One person. All right. When I read in God's word that rebellion is as equal to the sin as witchcraft. You hear that, kids? Rebellion, even to your mother and father. I just had this great discussion. You're going to love this, kids. I had this discussion with my kids. You know in the Old Testament, when kids would misbehave and rebel and rebel against their parents, you know what they did? heard it there was a whisper they killed them yeah now i'm not saying we're going back to old testament times thank god for jesus all the kids are like what what church should i just come to (laughs) they would do that and set the kids up as an example you don't rebel against the authority that has been set over you which is your parents because if you rebel over that authority, then you're going to rebel over in anything God has for you. God's like, send them up to me. We'll work it out. What you got to do is make your kids believe you're going to take them there. That's parenting class 101. All right. <clears throat> Rebellion. How's your walk? How's your progression towards God? here's the thing are you walking in the sons of disobedience the steady normal progress towards god and we're going to read it in verse three is wrath if you don't have jesus you're in big trouble verse three says among whom we all all of us once walked according to the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of our body and our mind And we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. This is brutal, you guys. But you know what it actually? It's putting on the right glasses, getting a right view of self, and getting a right view of God. And sometimes when I put those glasses on and I see it, and I'm like, well, why did God make us like this? Why is this? Why did the devil, why didn't God just kick him out of the garden? There was no sin. We could just hit the big reset from way back then. Why didn't, wasn't God thinking what was? And you know what the Bible says about that? To me, when I do that, you, the creation, are going to hold accountable the creator. No, 
It doesn't work that way. Job tried it. I don't know if you've read Job, or you could say, young people, it's Job in the Bible. But he was going through affliction and trouble and struggle and trouble and struggle. And he goes, man, if God was here, he would have to answer me some questions. If God was right here right now, I'd say, man, why did you even let me get born? Why didn't you just darken the day of my birth? If he was standing right here, I'd have him answer me some questions. And you know what happened? God showed up. And in my version, he says, put your big boy pants on. Let's have a conversation. I think in the King James, says, gird your loins and let's talk a little bit. And Job, standing there, God says, where were you when I formed the foundation of the earth and laid it by the breath of my hand? Where were you when I made snow and brought it out of its storehouses? Where were you when I was creating everything? And Job's response, I dare not speak. I'm just a man. I don't get to question when I put the goggles on, why is it like this? I just get to say, Lord, thank you for Jesus because there's still a rescuer. There's still a redeemer and he's doing a work. Romans, I'm going to read it to you. You don't have to look it up. In the NLT version, says it this way. God's gift and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are rebels, and God's mercy has come to you. So they too can share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience. What? Yep, Romans Chapter 11, 29-32, God has imprisoned everyone into disobedience. What? You want to say it again? God has imprisoned everyone into disobedience. In my ver- this is what it is. Israel had the covenant. Israel had the law. Israel had the blessing. Israel had the favor of God poured out on them. All of his love, all of who he is. He protected them. He loved them. And you know what they did? Rebelled. Rebelled. Rebel. 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 Just constantly rebelling against God. Finally, God says, I have given you a certificate of divorce. You are so unfaithful to me. So he divorced him, and I could go into detail of why. She was sleeping around on him, okay? He divorced And he says, I'm going to go pour my love out on the Gentiles. And now he's pouring his love out on us. And he says he's turned them over to disobedience so they can now receive his mercy too. And God has turned everyone over to disobedience so he can have mercy on them all. And right there I think, okay, that answers some questions. But you know how Paul writes in the very next verse, Romans 11, 33 says, Oh, how great are God's riches. Oh, how great. He sees this scenario and he says, How great is God's riches. How great is his wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is to understand his decisions and his ways. Do we get a question it? What's his rescue plan? Jesus Christ. 
That's it. There's no other way. There's no other life. We pretend in this cesspool, in this cemetery, that we have life. How's your walk? Are we like the rest of mankind? No, we're about to hit verse 4. And I know all the believers are just like, hold on, Jack. Like, Let's get to verse 4, right? Like, I want to hear what God has for me. And this is the greatest statement of all time. Are you ready? But God, being rich in mercy. I was dead. And I was under his wrath and ready to be destroyed. But God who's rich in mercy. That's it. I didn't do it. God is reaching down into this cemetery and bringing people from the dead. Resurrection is now. Just pause and soak that in. We who are hopeless, in despair, broken, dead, under the wrath. But God, who's rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us. Hey, I was blind, and now I see, right? Think of Jesus in, he's passing by Jericho, okay? He's going to the cross. He's passing by Jericho, and all of a sudden there is a blind man sitting off and just hears that on this path that he can't even see, Jesus is passing by. And you know what this blind man does? He says, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And everybody in the crowds with Jesus, they're like, would you shut up? Shut up. You know, you're not supposed to say that, kid. Okay, silence your voice by shutting up. All right. And you know what the blind man does? What does he do? He yells even louder, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And they're like, shh, Jesus is passing by. Don't you know he's awesome? Don't you know he's so cool and he's wonderful? And they're like, quiet your voice. And he's no, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus comes over and he says, which I like, what would you have me do? I got a bad knee. That's supposed to be funny. Okay. The guy's blind. Okay. He's blind. Jesus says, what do you have me do? Heal me. Jesus, have mercy on me. In this cemetery, we can still cry out. The whole world can say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm in death. I'm in a cesspool. There's no life. Without you, there's no hope. Jesus. But do you? Do you cry out? Are you playing a role? It's beautiful when God, rich mercy, reaches in and rescues, pulls us out. Verse 5 says, even when we're dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Even in this cemetery, we're all like mankind doomed for wrath, walking towards God, not prepared at all. And God, in our tr 
deadness and trespasses made us alive together with him. Colossians says it this way, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record and the debt that stood against us and its legal demands for our life, he set it aside. You know how God set all of our sin and everything aside? Anybody know? It's in Colossians. What, Noah? Boom. A, you get a sticker after this. God took all of our debt, all of our sin, all of our trespasses, all the guilt that was against us, and he nailed it to the cross. Every single person, it doesn't matter who you are, he nailed it there, but do you believe? Do you cry out and say, take all of my guilt, all my shame, and nail it to the cross? In the same token, that same nails that were my debt was also his massive love reaching out for sinners in a cemetery. Here uh, in 6, it says it this way, and he raised us up with Jesus and seated us with him in heavenly places from the cemetery, death, resurrection, heavenly realms. hard for my little brain to imagine, but I got a story for it that'll help. Okay, anybody of you have one son? Anybody? One son only. Yeah. Has anybody's son, that one beloved son, came home and said, I'm getting married. Got a fiance. Yep. Thanks. There's a couple in here. And you know what? I've seen this. The son will come home and say, okay, I got a fiance, I'm getting married. And then, uh, you know, it's in two months. So mom, get ready. And mom gets to meet the daughter or the daughter-in-law for the first time. Nobody quite measures up to that awesome son, do they? I got some smile. Like, moms are just like, oh, Is that the best you can do? I mean, there might be some more out there. But there's something that's so beautiful that they get married, and that mother-in-law starts to become, like, really best friends with the daughter-in-law. I've seen that. I've also seen... We won't talk about it. But what happens in here is the love for their son starts to be poured out on the bride. Ephesians 1, 6 says it this way, we have received the love because of our beloved. So I come walking home. I, I'm a member of a church, so I'm the bride of Christ. And I'm walking with Jesus. And we're walking up to the Father. And he's like, is that the best you can do? And God transforms something. All the love that he has for his son gets poured out on his bride. That's me. That's you. That's the people with life. We come walking home and the father says, the very love that I have for my beloved son. How many times does he say, this is my beloved son. 
I get all of their fellowship communion poured out on me. See, I could barely even scratch the surface of that. Because all I think is I would come to the Father and I'd get nothing but judgment. But because of Christ, I get redemption. Because of Christ, I'm pure. Because of Christ, I'm saved. Because of Christ, I have fellowship with the Father. Do you? How's your walk? And I'm trying to hold back the tears because I'm so excited that God, who is rich, and mercy is still reaching down and ready to rescue the whole world. He raised us up with Jesus and seated us in heavenly realms. Look at verse 7, because I'm going to have trouble even describing verse 7. It says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Okay. Here's my best shot, because my brain is weird. I get this awesome love between the Father and Son poured out on me because of the beloved. Nothing I've done. I am going to spend eternity in heaven looking and seeing this immeasurable riches of his grace. That'd be like two of us. He's going to send us out. This is me picturing my weird brain in heaven. He's going to take two people, give them 10 feet of rope, and we're going to start to measure out this grace. It'd be like doing this now. How long will it take you to cross the world with 10 feet? I don't know. Google it. Okay. I don't know either. <laughs> but here's what's going to be so awesome. Two people run out 10 feet of the rope. We're 10 feet away. And all of heaven's going to rejoice. Here's more. You run out 10 feet. Here's more grace. You run out 10 feet. Here's more. There's more. It's immeasurable. His love is huge and it rescues the whole world. What are we waiting for? The resurrection is now. It's in me. His love is poured out and it's huge. I can't even measure it. I'll spend forever running and celebrating and saying how huge his mercy is. But why aren't we shouting it to the world? You're in the graveyard. There's life. It's in Jesus. There's no other way. This is usually where someone tells me to calm down. It's so immense. The grace in verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Don't boast. You didn't do anything. God did it all. He's got the rich mercy. Every person that is rescued by this grace. Are you boasting? As if you've done something? Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I can't even grasp that in God's mind, I preached this sermon long before the world began. In God's mind, you helped someone and shared the light of Jesus long before the world began. In his mind, he's got works prepared for you to walk into them, and that's what he's prepared for you through Christ. Oh, I can only scratch the surface, guys. His rich mercy. I want you to grab your communion. Steve, you can come 
grab your communion cup. We're going to go through a contrast before our, our reflection. Sorry. I want you to grab your communion cup. If you've got to get the gluten-free one, come on up. And reading this scripture, this is one sentence in the Bible of his immense love. Immeasurable. And I want you to take your communion cup, and you don't have to hold it up as high as I am, but you can hold it down. You put one hand empty and one hand with the cup. And just in this scripture, we're going to compare the contrast. Are you dead in trespasses and sin? Or are you alive together with Christ? Are you walking on the course of this world in disobedience and rebellion? Or are you walking in the path of Christ in obedience to God? Are you following the prince of the air, which is Satan? Or are you following the prince of peace, which is Jesus? The spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience? Or are you following the spirits that's working in the sons of God? Are you living in the passions of your flesh and of your mind? Or are you living in the passion of Christ? Are you carrying out the desires of your body and your mind? Or are you carrying out the will of God for your body and mind? Are you by nature a child of wrath, or are you by divine nature a child of the Most High? Are you like the rest of mankind, or are you like the Son of God? Are you rejected? At the end of this walk, he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Or are you accepted in the Beloved? Because of Jesus, you could be seated in heavenly realms. Let's take a moment before communion and let God search our hearts.
like you to take the side with the bread, open it up. In John 17, there's the longest prayer in the Bible. And it's Jesus, right before his death, praying to God that the love that the Father had with the Son before the world began would be in us. And we would be one with the Father and the Son. This is how we commune with God, through Jesus, through his body that he offered as a perfect sacrifice on that cross, paid the debt that was against me. The trespasses and sins that were against me was poured out on him. I can only approach the Father through Jesus. And he prayed that that love that they had would be in us and we would be in them. And so Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And let's do the same. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ, pure, holy, without sin. Your rescue plan for everyone in this cemetery world. That we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins. And you brought Jesus' body to be perfect and holy, to be broken open, that the blood may be shed. Thank you for his body. Thank you for his flesh that hung on the cross that canceled my death. We love you, in Jesus' name. You can break it and let's partake. take the grape juice side and open it, see if anyone around you might need help. But Jesus, he took the cup and he gave him thanks for it. And he said, drink of it, all of you, for this is his blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Without his blood being poured out, the body was broken so the blood could be let. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And God has given us the blood to make atonement on the altar for our sins. That's the blood of the covenant. Christ shedding his blood for us, for you, for me. And he blessed it, and as he passed, let's, Lord, we thank you for this precious blood. It is grape juice and it's a symbol of the great blood poured out for everyone for all time. In this blood it also shows your rich mercy. That for what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient for all time for anyone to cry out Jesus, rescue me.
and you wash us in the blood. You cleanse us, making us pure and holy without blemish. Everything that Christ is before you, we are. Thank you for that precious gift. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink. to the Father. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great gift poured out on the world. We thank you that we can see your perspective, that we are dead in need of life and resurrection. And Lord, we celebrate Jesus' death through communion. And we praise you for his resurrection that is also ours in Christ Jesus. Thank you for resurrecting us with new life. We are a new creation. Help us to walk by the Spirit. Help us to be your people in progression towards a holy God. Thank you for continuing to cleanse us, to wash us, to renew us daily as we confess our sins. And we keep progressing towards you as your people. We love you. We thank you that we get to worship you here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing, Run to the Father. <laughs>